This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The true enemy of liberty is not the Democrats. It is authoritarians. And there is an overlap there. Sure, these days there are plenty of Republicans with an an authoritarian streak as well. Today's guest has spent decades fighting authoritarianism in all of its forms, no matter the cost, no matter the party, because he recognizes that the bigger the government grows, the less freedom the individual has. He fights for the middle class, the real America. He said at one point, there is only one kind of freedom, and that's individual liberty. Our lives come from our creator and our liberty comes from our creator. It has nothing to do with government granting it. Amen. He is the godfather of modern liberal uh, libertarianism. He is a man responsible for the um, conversion of countless wayward minds, energetic Americans desperate for a genuine politician to support. He has. Oh, converted more people, I guess, to libertarianism than maybe anybody in American history. He's a doctor, a real doctor, not a I got a Ph.D. in indigenous women's study kind of doctor. He's a real doctor. He made three White House bids. He spent nearly four decades in the House of Representatives. His farewell to Congress speech is the stuff of lore. These days, he publishes a newsletter, heads a foreign policy think tank, serves as the senior fellow at the Mises Institute. For many people, he's the best president we never had. As the saying goes, when fascism goes to sleep at night, it checks under its bed for today's podcast guest, Ron Paul. Before we get to Ron, there is nothing worse than having odors in your home that just will not go away. I have teenagers. I know of which I speak. Thankfully, you can get rid of any bad smell now when you get the Eden Pure Thunderstorm Air Purifier. It will handle the toughest smells. You can, you can be cooking fish. Your teenager could be cooking fish in their room. And I swear... You would think I got to bulldoze the house. But if you're using a Eden Pure, you don't smell it. It's amazing. Whether it's from cooking, cigarette smoke, litter boxes, trash cans, mildew, your refrigerator, everything. Thunderstorm knocks it out. It starts working in seconds to clear a room that smells and you don't have to replace the filter. They've sold over 350,000 Thunderstorm units so far. They have thousands of five-star reviews online. I have one, three different places in my house and in my refrigerator. Best of all, this week, they're running an amazing special that you're not going to want to miss. Right now, you can save $200 on three Thunderstorms for your whole home protection. Three units for under $200. Just go to EdenPureDeals.com. Enter the discount code GLEN. That's EdenPureDeals.com. Discount code Glenn. Plus, you'll get free shipping at EdenPureDeals.com. Discount Glenn.
How are you? Is this Glenn? Yes, it is. Good to hear from you. Yeah, I know. Nice the last last time we were in the studio together was the day of my first grandchild's birth. And I had to oh. leave in the middle of the interview. I don't know if you recall that. I had waited so long to interview you. And then the baby starts being born right when we start our interview. Well, first things first. Yeah, I know. You have to do it. I know. But you know what? I remember the interview, too, because you gave me a very nice interview because we were working at introducing our homeschooling program. Yeah, yeah. And you were very supportive of that. Yeah. So, Ron, I, I'm trying to organize my notes and the things I want to talk to you about. And honestly, I can't I can't decide where to begin with you because everything is on fire. And a lot of the things that you said were going to be a real problem and you better wake up are all happening. So what do you think the most the most important fire that we need to put out first is? Well, we work real hard on the foreign policy and fighting needless wars. And, you know, I got really involved in that when we were going to those many wars in the Middle East and Afghanistan, all that stuff. So that's a big issue. But the other big issue which is involved with foreign policy is the excessive spending. I don't think people realize uh, you know how serious that uh, that uh, debt is, and uh, it's it's extreme. It's going to be a big problem. And although everybody should vote to try to reduce it, the odds of that happening aren't very good. I know. So uh, the debt will get liquidated, and and we try to prepare people for it. But, so uh, it's so not, not easy. So l- let me start there. Um, most people don't understand, and that's because. Debt has been a part of this country's, you know, uh, financial philosophy for a long time. And everybody's been saying, oh, it's going to get bad. It's going to get bad. And I don't think people understand that there is a breaking point. Um, Can you describe what that breaking point looks like? What does the average person's life look like when this goes bad? Well, it's not not totally predictable because each event will be somewhat different. But there are certain rules in economics from the Austrian viewpoint, which I adhere to, that you can uh, predict what is coming or assume it's coming, such as, you know, if you have too much debt and you just print money and counterfeit the money, that leads to problems and high prices and all the things that, that we're facing. But, uh, you, you know, some of us who have followed this thought maybe six months or six years ago it could have happened right. so it's there's a subjectivity involved and in when it's precipitated what is the event and uh, sometimes a war will precipitate it and sometimes it will be an economic event and uh, the people's trust and so that is unpredictable but there's no doubt and, and in my opinion though the longer we can delay it or the officials delay uh, the, these uh, these bad events coming the bigger the bubble Right. Bubble gets, yeah. and uh, that's uh, that's where where the real problem is. That uh, you know, yeah, well, you know, the Fed met yesterday and a no catastrophe, and so wages went up a little bit, but that's st- still adding to the bubble, you right. know, and, and that. That's, that's the big thing. And it's a consequence, not of an accident. You know, it all, all came from the university teaching probably over the last hundred years. I um, I remember doing a monologue in when I was in. Um at cnn i did a series for a week 
on what I called, I think, the money bubble. It's now known as the everything bubble. And I said, we're going to hit this next problem. And if we don't let it go, we're going to just keep adding to the bubble. And I think 2008 is when we should have felt everything. And then they just changed all the rules of economics and that's what that's what's really weighing us down is we didn't pay the price in 2008 don't you think uh, absolutely and that's what they did they were able to get out of 2008 but uh, that's what happened the bubble gets bigger and bigger but there there are some rules uh, when debt gets out of hand debt has to be liquidated not only the debt but also people don't talk too much about malinvestment that when you have artificial interest rates and and uh, information that you can't rely on you can't rely on our government for much good information but if you get bad information on economics there's a lot of mistakes made, and, uh, and and that has to be liquidated too to get back to square one where you, you can start seeing r- real growth. What do you mean the debt has to be liquidated? How do you liquidate $32 trillion? Uh, by default. Uh, you know, you uh, you could walk, you could just default by uh, just stiffing everybody. We but can't, that would be a. We can't you, do we that can't constitutionally. Do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, we can't do it the way we're doing it. Uh, we're liquidating debt on a daily basis because, uh, you you know, if if uh, you, you owed a million dollars five years ago, you might be able to pay it off with 500,000. You know, the debt, the money is liquidated by the value of the currency going down. Right. So that real and, and, and governments know this. This is why they work hard to keep a little bit of inflation there. That's why we have to have at least the destruction of the value of the currency at two percent. But sometimes it goes a lot higher. So real debt goes down by inflation. And that helps the government. And some people like it, too. Oh, I can get a mortgage now and pay it back. But it also causes distortions where it gets out of control. And the real debt catches, you know, catches on. It has to happen. The best thing, the way you suggested, it made me think of 1929. Yeah. You said we probably should all. I'm at 21. 1921, we had a depression, and at that time, they were hands off. The yeah. Republicans were in it. They had not learned how to get out of the trouble by just printing tons and tons of money. And and the depression was very bad, very severe, and it lasted a year. Yeah. Hands off and they went back they went back to right. the into the of. into the roaring twenties. So one of right. the things that um I guess you know they, they had to sneak the Federal Reserve Act um in. I mean it was very, very shady as you know, but what they were what they said they were trying to avoid were these um regular market resets i mean it's the Kondrakiev wave is you know the green shoots of the economy it's got to go into winter it's got to burn the dead wood out so we would have about every 10 years a a very short depression it would crash and then it would come back and the federal reserve said that that's what they were trying to stop if you said to people that every 10 years you could lose everything but then it'll it'll start right back up again people wouldn't be for that they would they would they want they like the security of the idea that somebody's watching out how do you sell a really true free market without 
the Fed. Well, and that's the argument they used. There were, you know, bank runs and all this, right. and, and the Fed was established to stop all that. And you can't you can stop it, but it's because they drifted away and they never fully obeyed the Constitution that nothing other than the gold and silver would be used as legal tender, and that was a little too sloppy. Then they couldn't go to wars when they were unpopular and, and uh, there, was a, there was a limitation on taxation. So they went to this thing, which is tempting. It's all the way back to Roman times. Yeah. Mean, it's it's a part of history that it's a sneaky way of uh, taking government fraud uh, and uh, counterfeit. If, if people th- thought of this as a counterfeit system, eventually it will catch up to us. So I, I think that uh, people people know it and they want it, but they have been conditioned, especially in our country and our educational system, because they really don't worry about that. They talk about it. Even even Republicans are talking about it a little bit. Yeah, a little but bit. do you think the Republicans are the answer to deficits? No. They're, unfortunately, there's no good record. You know, you get only a few people like a Thomas Massey and a few mm-hmm. others mm-hmm. that will really vote uh, the vote, the clarity of the Constitution. You wrote End the Fed, I think, in 2011, I think. Sounds right. Um, Sounds right. What would you add to that today? I'd probably emphasize things a a little bit differently. Um, I would say, well, what would you do, you know, if you're uh, trying to provoke, uh, you know, present the correction? I would emphasize the whole fact that uh, if they if you had to have this Fed and you have it, uh, first thing I'd do I'd look to Jim Grant for some advice on it. But the other thing you do you put a put a rule in there that says that the Federal Reserve cannot buy government debt. You know that's the whole thing. Then they get into manipulating, and then they get into this astounding thing. They're central economic planners by manipulating interest mm-hmm. rates and. And then, then they get in and doing this. And that, that is where, where the real problem is, is, is the, the economic planning that they have and the pretense that, that they know what is uh, there. Just like this meeting uh, FOMC yesterday, they, they talk as if what they're saying is authentic. And it's yeah. always, what can we say to calm the people's nerves? And that's why I give them credit for being pretty shrewd, for pulling the wools over the lives of a lot of people. Right. And they've been able to do this for a good many years. It just, you know, of course, makes that uh, conditions much worse. And, uh, we, you know, when individuals do it, if you or I go overboard and we spend $5 million and all of a sudden the banks won't loan us any more money, we have to declare bankruptcy. We have to get another job or quit spending or do this. Governments don't do that. You know, people, when they worry about what's happening and when they lock down government, oh, they're not going to send me my Social Security check. Never worry about that. And it, they're always going to bail out now anybody's funds. They, the, the FDIC is always going to bail people out. But they ought to worry about the depreciation and the destruction of the currency because it never before, Glenn, has it been where a reserve currency was so embedded worldwide. Everybody's involved in the dollar because most currency are defined by dollars. So and a lot of other things. And that's why it's big. This is big time. And we're seeing hence big cracks are occurring and there's no slowing up. I don't think you can stop that exponential curve of, of debt going up there no. to 33 and, and look at it. And you said the right date to 2008 when that, when that real nonsense uh, started. 
So you look at um, where we're at and you talk about the destruction of the currency and that, you know, how many people are holding the U.S. dollar in their sovereign funds. And we have a war of currencies that is now beginning. Everybody keeps telling me, yeah, but we're the strongest one. And I've said for years, that's assuming no one will get sane and pour gold into their coffers and reestablish a new system. Um, you know, it's great to be the best of the worst until somebody, you know, invents a, a better mousetrap. And that's exactly what's happening. What does right. America what does America look like if our reserve currency is no longer the reserve currency? We're all going to get poor and we're going to have a lot of inflation and uh, there will be an, some, some substitute. We see that uh, at times uh, under emergencies, like in wartime, world wars and things. What, what happens is when the currency quits working, they find a substitute immediately, something, something of real value that people know about in the past. They've used tobacco, all kinds of things. But those are very, very temporary. But uh, no, uh, my idea is that it's going to be totally chaos. So really where the real fight is, is in, in, in the same fight that you're involved in, is trying to teach people what to do and where the answers are and, uh, and what's going to happen. So we're going to have the major crisis, but what is going to help me and my family and the, the people that deserve some help are the people that have to be able to join us in redefining, you know, what the currency is like. And a lot of work has already been done because the, if we look to the founder for some advice, it's pretty good. And, uh, and, and I think modern Austrian economics, which I have followed closely, uh, you know, since Lou Rockwell started, uh, started the uh, Mises Institute, there's a lot of information there. So that's where I'm optimistic. I think it's occurring. I think the homeschooling events are going on. I think the, the talk shows and the type of work you do, we reach more people. I don't think anybody knows because I bump into people that I feel like I'm just talking to people here and there and yeah. my voice, no, who cares? But I meet people that really have done things. And I thought, well, you know, I well, where'd you get that idea? And they got it from you. And I said, wow, I must have missed something. <laughs> and they, started, they yeah. start things and they do very well. And of course, I tell them, you know, when we deal and talk about investments too, and I talk about investments, uh, you know, with, with the metals and all, I said, but the most important investment is our energy put into spreading the message of liberty. And that, you could take it all away from us, <laughs> Glenn. And if they just gave us our lives back, our freedom back, and uh, they said, what would that be like? Well, first off, you wouldn't have an income tax. Yeah. And uh, you could do what you want as long as you're not hurting people. No, no violence. I said, boy, that's a wonderful place. Why aren't we selling that message better? Well, right now, they think there's a, still a free lunch. But the, the crisis comes when they say the free lunch is over. And how many free lunches are getting, you know, are vanishing. I, I can't believe what I see with pictures of San Francisco and uh, I know. Uh, Los Angeles. 
uh, this is this is uh, more than I expected. I thought it would come, but uh, the whole country can get that way. But where the real danger is, there's going to be a group, and there is a group. Do you think Nancy Pelosi uh, was worried about uh, you know the gun issues? She had guns all around her, all her mm-hmm. life. You know these communities. So the rich do do better under this system, and that means that when the harm comes once again, who pays? You know, if you are inflating away the debt, uh, who who gets the worst benefit? The poor people in the middle class. Correct. Because their prices go up much worse. And if you're a billionaire, who cares what bread costs? You right, know, right. And that's why the violence, the violence comes. And uh, I expect that'll get much worse. So do I, unfortunately. Um, uh-huh. Let me, before we move off money, one thing that I fear um, because I do think violence is going to get worse. I think that, you know, in at least in my view, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, but we have the potential of repeating Venezuela's uh, tale here that we were a very rich com- a country. We got off the wrong track. We started, you know, socialism and playing all kinds of games with our money and then destroying our energy and, you end up eating the animals in the zoo. Um, uh, and I, I could see that as a uh, as a destination here or a stop on the American story. And when things like that happen. With the technology that we have and the answer, I believe they think is a central bank digital currency, they lock everything down. You don't you you go from you're thinking you're oppressed to actually in a cage. Yes, and that that uh, that that is you know so important. But some of the things that you can't predict, whether we're going to be like Venezuela uh, or Zimbabwe, it's going to be probably different. that may, and, and the timing why it's different is it depends so much on human action. So if we're strong and halfway decent and we have the military power and we have a lot of wealth, you know, you can go a long way on that because the other countries are worse. Uh, but eventually, though, uh, we a rich country like we have now go beyond its means, and then we have to make the corrections. Why we don't know exactly how it's going to be, whether it's Venezuela or not, it's the fact that uh, human action, how do the people react? What are their emotions? When do they give up? How much violence will be involved? Some people may, some uh, countries might be more complacent, but generally speaking, there's usually violence and there's, uh, you know, social violence where the rich, the rich and the poor end up in civil strife. <clears throat> and I can't see how we can avoid that With because it's so ingrained and the anger is growing. But when it happens uh, is real hard to predict. But uh, the whole answer is, is I still have the same uh, the same approach. Well, let's be thankful that we have some time. Let's be thankful and see how successful we can be for spreading the message. There's right. a great message out there. The human race had, has a pretty good understanding of what should be done. But to me, it's still a fight between good and evil. 
and uh, that's that's where the battle really is. And I talk a lot about uh, natural law and and uh, higher law versus the nihilists who say there ain't no laws, right. <laughs> you know. And you hear it now; they say it. You can't know the truth. And that's uh, that's where the real fight is. But that's been going on for thousands of years. Yeah. And that's just the human nature. It just ebbs and flows. We just happen to be in this collective zone here uh, like we were. The world was in the 30s and 40s. And it's a very dangerous place when you start moving towards collectivism. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it? <clears throat> A real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So as we look at things and, and, and what they could actually turn into with uh, Ron Paul, let me remind you that the world is a crazy place. These days, it seems like uh, it's a little crazier than normal. Uh, disaster could come in many forms. I feel I feel like we're on the top of that building in New York. And Dan Aykroyd is like, you didn't think the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, he was so great. I think that could happen to us. Listen. Be prepared for anything. Maybe not the safe off marshmallow, but anything that could happen. Get the supplies that you need to ride out whatever it is that is coming. You first need a supply of emergency food on hand. And My Patriot Supply can help you there. They're the largest preparedness company in the country. And right now they're offering huge savings on their three-month emergency food kit. You get a variety of breakfast, lunch, dinner, drinks, 2,000 calories a day, easy to prepare, little water, little heat, you got it. But they also have other things for survival. Um, You can get a a little teeny biomass stove or an off-grid room heater that really will heat the room if you have a power outage. Gravity-powered water filters, don't forget that. Heirloom seeds, so much more. MyPatriotSupply.com. MyPatriotSupply.com. Let's let's talk a little bit about um, war. You have been very clear on foreign entanglements. I mean, you have sounded much like uh, Washington and our founders uh, on no foreign entanglements. It you know, in 2001, I wasn't with you. By 2008, I was absolutely with you on this doesn't work. I started doing my homework and looking the State Department really is responsible for a lot of our wars and and the military industrial complex. And they're involved in all of our wars. And that hasn't worked in a hundred years. And we just keep repeating the same mistake over and over again. Is that accurate? Yeah, it is. But I'd add one thing, and that's uh, the international governments. We have our government to deal with. But uh, if you take uh, some of the things that happened with the United Nations, and yes. I point out, what was the first thing the United Nations? I was in grade school, but my teachers were propagandizing why was the United Nations was a great thing. And so what was the first thing they did? They, uh, Truman said, well, we'll, we'll go to, uh, let's go to war uh, uh, over in Korea. 
oh, the people don't want another war so soon after World War II. Oh, it's not a war like that. This is a police action. Mm. So, and yes, we, we ended up with a stalemate there, but it really was a loss on what they were doing. And look how how, how Korea has still been separated. Yeah. But then, then, of course, the same thing happened with Vietnam. I had a... I had a lot of uh, uh, impressions put upon me in the 60s because I was in the medical school. I was in a residency. I got drafted. And, uh, and, and there was all, all this emphasis that w- went on. It was a horrible thing. And how many years did it take for the American people? When, how did it have to end? Sadly, with a lot of demonstrations and, and harm done to our own country. So that's, that's why the founders said, be cautious. Don't get into these wars. Make, make the people have a say in it and let the Congress vote on it. But it's executive orders now. I know. The power is just, a, and then it isn't only the executive orders, it's the United Nations. We go to war still. I remember George Sr., I think, said we, we, we had to go in here because of the, they said we were supposed to have a vote in the Congress. He says, that's not necessary. I get my authority from the United Nations. And I was about to scream, <laughs> but, but, but they do. Yeah. yeah. They do it. And, there's too much side. That's why I go back to you have to have education. And that's why, you know, I have the homeschooling. And once again, Glenn, I know you're supportive of homeschooling. And you said a few good things about my homeschooling. Oh, yeah, program, yeah, yeah. I, appreci- yeah. I appreciate that. Um, the World Economic Forum, they are, uh, I mean, truly frightening. Uh, this is a group of elites that. You know, every conspiracy theory, every, you know, star chamber movie is it, it's almost like a parody of itself. Uh, you know, they've got a guy with a German accent. It leads it a bald Bond villain. Uh, and they are they. They they truly believe that they can take the world and violate all of human nature and make uh, a new world. What are your thoughts on the World Economic Forum? Well, it should be disappeared, (laughs) intellectually speaking, because, uh, yes, it is a powerful force, and they're using the same tools that I'm advocating for liberty. Uh, I mean, you take a guy like Soros and others before, before the World Economic Council came, that, uh, that, that they got a hold of the educational system and then they moved along from there. Our universities were there. And even this, oh, with COVID, it looks like they've taken co- over completely the medical profession, yeah. which is really sad. And uh, scary. That, that, uh, yeah, and uh, but uh, at the same sense, a few people have uh, awakened. Uh, they they know this, and uh, more people did. More people know what's went on during the lockdown yeah. than they did before the lockdown. Yeah, and uh, and they're they're looking like the American people are ready to resist that. But just think, Glenn, how horrible this was. That if you were a physician and you were speaking out, and you happened to be associated with a university or a hospital. They say, well, you, you can't say that ivermectin can be used and you and the patient decide whether or not you want to have it. You're out of here. <laughs> and a lot of people lost a lot of a lot of, uh, you know, positions. They get fired. That 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 is 
continuing to, and that, that once again is the destruction of the doctor-patient relationship, which is part of all this uh, World Economic Council, because they they are the bad news, and uh, the only thing I can think of is counteract it with the good news of what liberty is all about. So what is... Um when you when you go to the World Economic Forum and you see what's happening, let's go into um, Ukraine. You were early on the first revolution in Ukraine, ringing the bell, saying this is this is not on the up and up. Um, when the State Department did the next revolution, I think it was in 2014, I think. Uh, that right. was that was all the, the the State Department and players like the Clintons and uh, the Bidens and Obama and Soros. Now we have this. Uh, tell me what you think is going on with Ukraine. Why is this so important to the elites? Because the American people are not for it. Well, it's failing and people are waking up. And I think early compared to how long it took people to wake up about Vietnam. But uh, no, I saw that as uh, a position. Uh, It wouldn't have happened without the United States supporting it. And it's our empire, desire for empire and people you know, capitulate and say, well, we have to be part of the empire. And uh, Ukraine wanted to be part of it. But it was a unique mess because about a third or more was really Russia. It had a Russian language and Russian people. And there was a border border dispute. And it it went on. But I think it was the expansion that uh, we had promised that we would not put our missiles, missiles up. And yet we broke our promises and did it anyway. And uh, so so it got way out of whack on the PR. Now, now the hatred and questions about Russia is just it, no, no, no rationality about it. And yet when the Cold War ended, boy, I was delighted. A lot of people were. And yeah. we did see some things we started traveling to russia trading with russia they were building you know oil pipelines to europe and i always argued uh, which our founders are you trade with people and you're less likely to fight with them yes but all of a sudden that was a challenge to the empire and the empire is uh, very much uh, we're very much in charge of the empire and that's why we have the reserve currency but it also means that because that demonstrates how big it is it seems like it's not as powerful as they thought there's no cakewalk uh, in ukraine now, a lot of people have suffered and the people who suffered weren't the ones that said, you know, let's get together and have a right. war. I mocked that attitude because I said, all these wars, who fight the wars? The kids, 18 to 25. I said, do the 18-year-olds and the tw- uh, to 25 get together from the 18-year-olds in Russia? And they say, oh, you know, life is boring. Let's have a war. <laughs> no, no, it's these scoundrels. These scoundrels yeah. are going to make billions of dollars building airplanes like the F-35. That doesn't work. Oh, that doesn't matter. It's good for jobs. And Republicans say that. They say, you know, the military budget is good because of a lot of jobs, but it's robbery. It's highway robbery. It's stealing from the poor people, paying through it with fraudulent money and undermining the the wealth of the poor people. And that's why you're going to see a lot more people living in the streets. So what was was it our incompetence, uh, this administration's incompetence? 
that sent the signal to Russia? Um, was it a backdoor deal for some reason or another with this administration? Uh, we laundering money. What what is what is really behind that? Well, a lot of it wasn't as clear cut and written, but the conversations were very clear, and it was under H.W. Uh, Bush, and uh, it started really after World War II, but then later on another one. But uh, it was very well known that uh, we were to keep our weapons away from Eastern Eastern Europe, and uh, but we kept encroaching and encroaching, and then it looked like. The big battle for how far we can get away with it was Ukraine because it was the last, right, last but, uh, but, country. But yeah. all of us, knew, but all of us knew, is that just absolute incompetence and stupidity on the president's part? Because, I mean, we all I, knew we all watched it happen. It's like a slow motion train wreck. We're like, we'll tell them that they can't get into NATO. We've already promised that. What are you doing? I, I think they brainwash themselves. They come to believing their own lies. And, and, but I think they're uh, drunk on power. And uh, then there's uh, the people who are drunk on power, are the politicians, and they go along with the people who are drunk on money. And the military industrial, you've already mentioned military industrial complex. <clears throat> that is a big deal. And uh, we could uh, we could do with a lot less of that. And this is why when I had to deal with what are your proposals, then? Uh, how are we going to get back to a balanced budget? I said, well, you, you need to use a little common sense. If uh, if you want to do it, why don't you cut foreign aid and some of this militarism and all these profits that go to these these companies and uh and don't cut food stamps first. You know that's right. what, that's what they're currently talking about. Right. And I'm a, I wouldn't very I wouldn't vote for food stamps program. But right now we had food stamps at that uh, farm and and uh, food program. That's both poor people's uh, food stamps and rich people's food stamps. Mm -hmm. But we shouldn't have any. But if you're trying to work toward addition. I, I never wanted to say, well, the first thing I'm going to cut are food stamps to poor people and medical right. care to poor people. Right. It makes no sense if you're trying to work with people and, and wean them off. But uh, unfortunately, everybody's going to be weaned off except the very, very super powerful who will pick up all the pieces and walk away with maybe the gold or who knows what, unless we wake up. So talk to me about the deep state. You're your understanding of the deep state. I mean, I always thought that there was a problem with these people that just stay in Washington. I've always thought that there was an arrogance of the State Department. They really didn't care. But when Donald Trump talked about the deep state, at first, I was a little uncomfortable with that because I was like, that sounds like a star chamber. And I don't think it, well, I'm not sure. I don't think it's a star chamber. But it's just arrogant people who think alike that are moving in their direction, no matter who's elected or what's done. And now they're becoming extraordinarily dangerous with the intel being a part of that. What is your understanding yeah. of it? Well, I don't think there's 12 or 15 or 20 people that uh, we hear about their right. meetings that they get together. I don't think they have board meetings and, right. and lay their plans out. I don't think it's like that. I think it's philosophic yes. and that uh, they, it's ingrained in a system 
through our universities, and uh, that that is uh, what what they do. They they come up with uh, these wild screams like ESG, and and, and and what is amazing is the people who go along with all that stuff. And uh, but it's a it's a it's a group of people. I think George Soros. I would put him in the deep state. Yes. But there are isolated people, and it's not as monolithic as I think some people think. But they're very very powerful, and uh, believe me. The deep state, those very, very wealthy bankers who controlled things maybe just through finances, they were very much involved in bringing about, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the, 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 the uh, bringing about the Fed, you know, mm-hmm. uh, establishing the Fed. Of course, they, they had a major victory in 1913. And uh, Glenn, if we could do anything, why don't we just cancel 1913? Get rid of the IRS and yeah. get, get rid of all the bad money and Woodrow and Wilson actually, yeah there you go yeah. you, I was just going to think of that our minds yeah. are thinking the same way. yeah yeah making making the world safe for democracy right. of course the founders didn't even the founders didn't even like the word democracy mm. because when you have the 51 percent put together by the deep state they could get they could do anything they want to the minority mm-hmm. and, and the, who, who's in most favor the, the liberals who are supposed to be taking care of the minority and the people that are hurting no uh, it it's uh, it's not a good system and and I think ideas are so powerful, and I think good ideas, when they come along, cannot be stopped. The armies can't stop them, because even with or without the Internet, I think good ideas will filter through and eventually have you know, have an influence. But the problem is, it's very slow, and it's very tedious, and it's very uncomfortable. But uh, I think the only way I tolerate the problems with, uh, you know, trying to bring about change is I try to think, you know, you, you should try to find people who are like-minded and convert people and try to have a good time doing it. So right. I think uh, going to conferences and things and meeting other people, we won't all we'll be all be different. We'll all be libertarian-like. Right. And uh, you get together and, and meet people that have the same goals. Uh, speaking of libertarianism, it, two, I think it was 2014, the New York Times said, uh, has the libertarian moment finally arrived and it kind of felt like that it really felt like that at the time and now it seems that so many people they might hate the deep state or they hate the big government but they want to keep it so we can turn it around and use it on you know our foes what happened to the no this is a really bad idea unconstitutional it's not america dismantle what what happened to those freedom fighters well i think uh, what, what has happened the people who have been <clears throat> made dependent on all these programs they get worried and they don't hear the other side of the story and they become more aggressive and the politicians, you know, react to that. But I think there's been a crack in this. I just don't think it's uh, it's quite that bad uh, because I look toward, uh, you know, the people who are teaching better economics. And there's a lot. And, and, and you know, people said, how, how can you stand uh 
going out there on those college campuses, and I loved it because college kids, I think they're more open-minded. I don't know if you ever found that out. Yeah. But young people are very open-minded to some of our viewpoints. That's critical, and that's wonderful. And if you go, I say, yeah, I'd rather go talk to a bunch of college kids at Berkeley campus where I had a good re- reception than I would to the Chamber of Commerce mm. because the Chamber of Commerce people, they, uh, oh, they're yeah. the ones, as I campaigned in my district and around the country, they say, well, how are you going to protect this for me and this for me? And they uh, protectionism. They're the ones who want to say, well, keep, keep out those Japanese cars because we're having trouble selling our cars. It's all protectionism, which I'm obviously not a fan of. Yeah. Uh, and, and we want competition. We want freedom. And we want rewards for doing a good job. But uh, there's there's uh, every, all the arguments are on our side. So I keep telling people, I don't know why we're losing this. It must be our fault. We must not know how to present the case for liberty well enough to get more people. But I do think, Glenn, that uh, there are a lot of people out there. I think they're quiet, and I think they're they're waking up. I think there there are yeah there there's the uh, World Economic Forums that are around and several of those monstrous things. But there's also libertarian groups. I don't think they're loud mouths, and I right. don't think they're I think they're smaller. I don't think our numbers are crucial. You don't have to have fifty one percent. You need fifteen or twenty percent of the people saying you know I do believe in liberty, and they influence people uh, outside of that and that influence means you eventually have to convince the electorate that it's a good idea to, f- to defend your liberties rather than saying all I need is more government. I make fun of the issue on, on inflation. You know, the government, had, we run up all these debts for war and welfare, and then they print too much money, and we had, and the prices go up, and they don't, the people don't exactly understand it. So they come to Washington, and they say, you help me out, help me out, give us more money. <laughs> the prices are too high. Right. But, but that, that's the cause. Mm-hmm. It's too much money. It, 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 and, it, and there's pretty good statistics to show that when they do that, the devaluation and the value of your currency goes down faster than you can get your wages to go up. It never can keep up. And then, and then you have the uh, social turmoil that comes along with all this and, and the anger, which is something I get very concerned about. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Back with Ron Paul here in just a second. Everything you touch has a history. Everything you buy, everything you eat, every piece of clothing you wear, it all comes from somewhere. And if you're like me when it comes to clothing, you want to pay with your hard-earned money for something that has been built here in America, made here in America by Americans. You want that money to go and flow back into your community. Well, when it comes to manufacturing, it really matters. It's the backbone of our economy, always has been, but we've really lost it. 
the things that put the food on the tables of our fellow countrymen. This is why I love partnering with companies that do business here in America, make everything here in America. With Grip 6, you're getting a true American experience. You buy their socks, for instance, you're supporting the American ranchers that raise specially bred sheep that produce the modern wool. The manufacturers who wash that wool, then process that wool, then the people who weave it into uh, socks that will keep your feet warm in the winter and cool in the summer. The American business owners who have accepted the risk that comes along with only using American-made products and American labor should be rewarded. Do yourself a favor. Just check out Grip6.com slash Beck right now. Put your hard-earned money in America. Grip6.com slash Beck. I'm concerned, especially here recently, after October 7th, the wild anti-Semitism that is coming out of the college campuses. It is, you know, it's happening all over the world where there's you know, they're painting um, stars of David on people's houses and their businesses in Paris, France. Um, it, it's it seems um, a little unreasonable. I have no problem standing up for the Palestinians, standing up for the Jews when they're right, when they're wrong. You know, we work things out. But when you when you start to look at terror tactics and say terrorism is justified going into somebody's house and killing their children raping their their wives or you know kidnapping somebody in the family that's terrorism and you once said we can't wage war against a tactic because terror is a tactic how do we fight this this hatred that is happening well, to me, it's a moral issue, and uh, politicians don't have much control of that, uh, other than maybe the, the good ones can set a, set a standard. Uh, it's it's uh, it's for libertarians. It's not difficult for me because it's a principle of non-aggression, and that means you can't initiate force if you're going to be moral. If you want to be, uh, and that fits into my religious beliefs. It fits into my economic beliefs and my foreign policy beliefs that you can't have aggression. And uh, the big problem, though, is that uh, it gets a little bit confusing. Who was the first aggressor? What have they been fighting for 300 years? Who started this fight? But uh, aggression, if there's any calm which you aim for, the people should not. It's an immoral, wrong, and you're doing the wrong thing if you initiate aggression. And, you know, people people generally like that. I don't know. I've had a rather good experience with neighborhoods and, uh, where I've lived, you know, uh, in Pennsylvania, in the military and schools and all this. And I've never had to – nobody ever walked into my house and said – Okay, move over and bump me around and say, I'm, you have three cars, I'm taking one. No, they don't, they don't do that. And I think Bastiat explains this, that you can, you can do, you can't, 
you can't give the government to write to do what you're not allowed. Correct. And, and, and I think most people understand. You don't walk into your neighbor's house, especially in Texas, and take something that you like. I mean, it, there would be some protection against that. But if you do this, uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a big deal. But what we have done is we've given the government the authority, and they get rewarded for it. And then this generates all this lobby and stuff. One of the things that I liked the best or was proud of the most, and that sort of tells, uh, puts me in a, cer a certain category, is that uh, people say, how do you put up with the lobbyists? I said, I never have lobbyists come to my door. They never <laughs> bother me <laughs> because they already have the answer. And uh, I think that's what we need. We need to uh, we should not give that power and authority to the Constitution. So it comes, to, it comes down to a legal issue and a, and a moral issue. The founders were exceptionally clear on, yeah, we're, we're giving you a republic and we're giving you some liberty and uh, this could work. But it, uh, if the morality of the people disintegrates, so will your republic. And I'm afraid we're there, but I'm not giving up and thinking they can't be reversed. Right. Because on an individual level, I've seen so many people do things, even, <clears throat> even since I've been not it literally in politics, I've bumped into a lot of people who have done a lot of good, and I think that's doing this. It's growing. And <clears throat> it's not the kind of thing you're going to hear on the news. And uh, but uh, I, I think that is what we have to encourage. And besides, once they grasp that and I've had a lot of young people come up to it, says, you know, I finally get it. And he's <laughs> the one the one the one comment I enjoy is, I, you know, Ron. It's just common sense what you're talking it about. Is. And I would I would hope that it's it common is. sense because if it isn't, they're not going to listen. So um, when you look at the Constitution, I've been saying this for a long time. I'll stand with any man if you can give me the Bill of Rights. <laughs> if, if we can't agree on the Bill of Rights, then I, I don't know if I have enough in common. I don't know because that's what I'm fighting for. That everybody is treated the same under the law. It justice is blind. You have a right to say, and as my father used to say, I really disagree with Ron Paul, if if you would, for this case. I really disagree with him, but I'll fight to the death for his right to say it. We've lost that. And now with social media, we've lost freedom of speech with the White House influencing that. We have 20-somethings, 30-somethings now that think that there are limits on free speech. Make the case for the Bill of Rights. Yes, and number one, we can start with number one, because as I was leaving Congress a couple years ago, I had a little talk to give. And I used the First Amendment as, as the lead-in to what you're talking about, because the First Amendment is supposed to give us the right to speak out. Right. I always tell people, we don't have the First Amendment so we can talk about the weather. I said, we have it because we have the right to criticize our government if the government is not following following the rules. And uh, and, the, and you've already pointed out, uh, Glenn, where it's been abused. And it has been, uh, I mean, it is a fascist system now because governments have been directing the FBI and other government agencies working with the social medias to punish them. Yeah. And that all came out of, you, you know, the, mm -hmm. the lockdown. 
And you say, well, why don't you throw in the towel? How are you ever going to do that with a better idea? And because this system isn't going to work. So there's, there's, there's going to be an opening. And I think the openings are occurring. And uh, I, I, I just think there are more people. When I went to Congress in first time was in uh, 76 and it was uh, over the economic issues and uh, I talked about the Federal Reserve and stuff and people say what in the world are you talking about mm-hmm. you, you know but guess, guess what Glenn uh, you and others talk about the Federal Reserve and yeah. you've done it for a good many years now yeah. and, and, and you can use that for the illegal unconstitutional uh, use of fraud to, to pass you know send messages around the country and get people to do these kind of things but no uh, the bill of rights is a good summary of uh of what we should do and of course they fought over that to bring it in people argued that uh, we should we shouldn't have a bill of rights and uh, those were the people who tended to want bigger government correct correct um you have seen so much first of all you've run for president three times the first time and what a different world we would be in if you would have won in 88 instead of George W. Bush, George H. W. Bush, um, you ran again in 2008 and then 12. What do you think of the current set of politicians? Do you see anybody on the horizon that gives you hope? Bits and pieces. Uh, every once in a while, almost every one of them said something. Say that's good. That's good. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, uh, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm pretty cynical about the political action from year to year. And this year, it's harder to say it than ever. That uh, doesn't make any difference. And then when you look at some of the scandalous things done on one hand and not on the other hand, but. Uh, who, who who are we going to elect? You, you have to have the support by the people and the uh, and the intellectual community. But uh, will, can we pick? Can you and I agree? And then we'll start uh, start a rally for the individual that is dedicated a hundred percent to get rid of the Federal Reserve. Nah, that's that's too much. You can't take that on. Oh, okay. We're going to do away with welfare, right? You know, okay, we're going to do away with the with the executive orders that allows presidents to do almost anything they want. Right. And we would, uh, you know, go on and on. And uh, and I don't have anybody like that because I think uh, I think the deficit's going to continue. I don't matter. There's no one person in there that if is elected. And people say, well, what would you have done then? I said, the truth is, that you suggested uh, what would have been like if I'd have won an ADA. Well, by ADA and one month later, they say, get rid of this guy one <laughs> way or the other. Yeah. <laughs> because because they wouldn't be ready. That's why you have to get people to ready. And that's why uh, that's why they're working very hard. And when I see the collusion of big business working very closely with social media, and then we have a tougher time defending the right of speech, free speech on social media. But now the evidence is out. The social media is not independent. They're not just the newspaper, you know, reporting the news. They're in there as participants. And it is a form of fascism that's going on here. And uh, that's why the Bill of Rights is so important. That's why the First Amendment is important. But I still believe that good information can spread. I, I don't think I don't think they can stop the good information. 
And you say, well, there's not enough yet, Ron. You, it's not 51%. Well, you know, the founders probably had about 8 or 9% of the population mm-hmm. in support of, uh, uh, of the uh, challenge to the British Empire. So, uh, you know, the ideas are important, but you still have to get support from the people. Uh, and I talk about calling that a prevailing attitude. The people have an attitude. And when the attitude, so the attitude had to change, say, in the 60s against the Vietnam first ignore it totally and then complain a little bit and then have to riot in the streets. The attitude finally changed and the politician finally woke up. And I think our job ought to be, Glenn, is to try to wake people up before they get involved in this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's hard, much harder to stop. How do you stop this spending? Not very easily, because if you cut it off, uh, I I think I mentioned that uh, you you have to cut it off wisely, uh, something like foreign aid before children's Mm health care. But uh, I'm not very optimistic that uh, that's my optimism happen. doesn't leave me, that's going to happen. No, uh, we should put as many people as we can to spread the message. But at the same time, uh, they uh, uh, it's going to come elsewhere. And it's going to come from, you know, in the early 80s, you may recall, there was a strong attack against homes, uh, homeschooling and also private schooling. Yeah. And right now, you could still, you could do it. And uh and, and I think, uh, you know, lockdown, there was a tremendous boost in that oh, type yeah. of education. Oh, yeah. So that's good. That's yeah. good. So, so uh, what was the, the numbers are secondary in your in your vast career? I mean, you graduated uh, college, I think, in 1957. And you have been active in so many different things. What is the most significant event in your lifetime that you look at that you witnessed you saw you were a part of or just alive for what was what was the most significant event and i think you're thinking along political and education no anything Anything. Okay, my most significant event was I got married in 1957, wow. and uh, I graduated from college in 1957. In 1957, uh, uh, I uh, started uh, medical school. Those were significant, but those were personal. Yeah, that doesn't yeah, yeah. quite qualify for your question. But <clears throat> no, I I think the event. Even though I got involved in study of economics, say, in the 60s, I know when I was in medical school, I was reading about this. and I, This is fascinating stuff. And then I got to meet some of the, the big names in Austrian economics. Mm-hmm. I heard thesis lecture. I knew Murray real well and so sense holds. And these people, wow. that really... Uh, and they were making predictions about it can't last. Uh, the Bretton Woods system is going to break down. So I was sitting watching television on August 15th, 1971. And guess what? Nixon came on with a special a, yeah. a special message. And he said, no, no, uh, no more honoring the dollar at a dollar uh, with gold, uh, even though the American people still weren't allowed to own it. But at least we were trying to limit our money so foreigners would use it, building our reserve status. So he, he got rid of that. He put on wage and price controls and he put on tariffs. 
And I, wow, I was jumping up and I, what in the thunder? <laughs> and there was only one person in the whole town where I lived, that, uh, another doctor that understood this stuff. So I called him. I said, dude, look at what, look at what, look at what they're doing. But I, I went to a chamber. <laughs> I already made a critique about a chamber of commerce, but that's, uh, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I know. But that's I was, a sore subject for me, too. I was, member, I was a member for a long time. Yeah. So I was attending one of our legislative meetings, which was routine, on August. Uh, I, uh, Nixon talked on a Sunday. So Monday I went to my legislative committee meeting at the chamber, and uh, the chamber came out. And they were so excited. <laughs> they, this was wonderful. Mm. And I, I thought, what? And, and then, then I looked at the stock market. And the stock market, up until that time, went up more in one day uh, ever ever before. Wow. So the stocks, uh, they were fooled into it. It was all, and it was, and it was. I thought that this just huge step. Watch out, things are going to change because at that time. Gold was $35 an ounce, said. Now is a couple dollars more than that, <laughs> ready to do a lot a lot more. Because yeah. We haven't learned our economic lessons. And uh, just as I thought and anticipated, I thought it was a good idea. We could still buy silver. Silver was in circulation in, in 1971. So you could still, uh, you know, and silver, I was saving silver. It was $1.29 an ounce back then wow. and now and so i started doing that but it had but it had a major that was in 71 and 74 i started speaking out and <clears throat> i ran for office in 74 and my wife carol said what do you do that for you know this that's Hmm. Not necessary. And I said, well, don't worry about it. I said, I'm not going to get elected. I said, this is just this is just therapy for me. So I'm going to talk about it. She said, no. She says, the people are going to believe what you're saying, and they're going to elect you. Uh, a year or so later, they did. Uh, so I had a very, very low anticipation rate. And uh, <laughs> for that reason, I thought I could... Uh, just say it. anything I want if I believed in it. And yeah. I think that was the uh, best asset I had because people came around to thinking, well, we like this idea of, uh, of hard money. And I found out there were a lot of I was impressed with the fact that a lot of working people came and uh, there because their wages were being eroded. So I, that that excited me. And, and I saw so I ran in those years over the economic issue, the spending uh, and all the debt we had and sound money. But uh, as I uh, as I learned more about it, I got more fascinated with uh, non-interventions, foreign policy. I had already yeah. <clears throat> one of the reasons I gave for going to medical school was, well, I didn't I didn't have long term plans. I got to be a doctor. I got to be a doctor. But in the midst of all this, I said, I didn't like the idea of seeing what was happening in Vietnam and the, how many people were getting killed. And I said, I can't shoot people. So uh, I think I'll go into medicine. Uh, I know I'll be drafted. If I'm a doctor, at least I won't be shooting. I'm not going to take a gun. And uh, lo and behold, 1972, with a, during the missile crisis and with Vietnam, or with uh, yeah, Vietnam, I was drafted. I ended up in the military for five years. Wow. Um, last question: If you could only read about one president, good or bad, that you would learn the most from to restore or to uh, understand America's principles and somebody who really screwed it up or somebody who really had it right, 
Which president would you pick? I would pick Jefferson, you know, and uh, I see him sometimes. And when I look at the thing uh, that <clears throat> maybe I wouldn't agree with wholeheartedly, but yeah. who, who do you find that happened? No, I, I think uh, I think he understood the Constitution and he had to uh, 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 challenge, uh, you know, the, uh, the the people back even then. Uh, Hamilton, he had to have a few debates and he did away with the first uh, national bank. And so I would I would stick with Jefferson and uh, that uh, would would be the best choice I could come up with. Yeah. Ron, thank you for everything that you've done and are continuing to do thanks for educating so many uh people including myself it's an honor to to know you and to talk to you thank you thanks for having me on just a reminder i'd love you to rate and subscribe to the podcast and pass this on to a friend so it can be discovered by other people 